Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness. I especially enjoy, as you already know, uh, exploring the, the taboo realms of the human experience in regards to fitness and movement and health and all that stuff. So that's what we're doing. I appreciate you guys following along for as long as you've had. We've been doing this thing for over five years. It's weird. I don't know why I even started it. Um, but I'm grateful that I did. A lot of beautiful things have manifested because of its existence. So thank you guys so much for making that a reality. Today's conversation was with my homeboy, uh, Harry Grammer. Harry is truly is one of the most important figures that uh, I've had on the podcast, I think. And um, he's, he's awesome, especially in this time of all of the uh, seeming turmoil that exists throughout the country and uh, oppression and prejudice. I don't know why I say oppression. I don't know why I put an extra emphasis on the O. I I like it for some reason, oppression. Um, So this conversation, we get into all of that and some of the primary roots of prejudice and oppression and misjustice that exists in the United States. Uh, We get into racism in general, racial equality slash inequality. And really great stuff. I think that the conversation is that the country ought be having is uh, is highly nuanced. There's a lot of layers to this stuff. I don't think it's as simple as saying you know one blanket statement that you can put on a cardboard box and you know go out and yell about. I think there's a lot of layers behind all of that stuff, and that's exactly what we get into this conversation. So uh, thanks for reviews on iTunes. Thanks for sharing it. Um, if you do this, if you're going to share any episode and you want to make a difference on planet earth, I think this would be a, a real, a real good one to share. Um, because it's something that I feel very passionately about. Um, there's, there's a, a deep injustice that is happening with many, many of your fellow human beings in this country, whether you realize it or not. And I think it's worthwhile exploring that subject of what the heck is going on in people's lives. Uh, if you guys are interested in bettering your own self, your body, uh, if you've got neck pain, back pain, your hips are inflexible, all those things, uh, highly recommend jumping on to alignpodcast.com. And you can start the first week of the Align Method online program at absolutely no cost, no strings attached. You get in there, we break down some rad breathwork practices. We help you get your head back on top of your shoulders. A lot of good stuff in there. And it is the addendum to the Align Method book, which I appreciate y'all grabbing that too. I appreciate y'all is what I'm trying to say. How many times can I say appreciate? in one introduction. We'll see. Should I get a counter for appreciation? After the conversation, uh, Harry and I did some bow shooting. We got Harry in his first compound bow experience, and uh, we we ended up accidentally launching an arrow into the woods that we had to recover, missing the target. Um, But we are going to come back to that bow, Harry. We're going to work on that thing. We're going to work it out. Great conversation. Uh, Harry is, he's uh, truly like one of the most valuable humans that um, I know, I would say, especially in this this day and age. Um, he is a, what are his credentials? He's CNN hero in 2017, which is a big deal. He's one of the Obama fellows. Uh, he's the founder of New Earth, which is an organization that is doing a deep dive into restructuring the juvenile how would you call it? Incarceration system? 
criminal justice system. Um, we're locking kids up slash adults. Um, we're, our, our country, United States, uh, does a, a great job with penalization. Um, we don't do such a good job with rehabilitation. And that's what this conversation is about. That's what Harry's doing in the world. He is an invaluable character. Um, I implore you to share this with your friends. Just share the conversation in general. Like, have the conversation. Um, get out, vote, learn about politics because there are a lot of people that could use your help. So, looking forward to y'all's thoughts in this conversation. And here we go. Let's get into it with my man, Harry Grammer. Pow. Something that I've been asking a lot of uh, people of color uh, or African-American yeah. or black people, I don't know exactly what the best way to communicate yeah. is. You want to know the word? Yeah, tell me. It's black. Black. Cool. Sorry. So, so, black, <laughs> so black, black folks. Yeah, black folks. People yeah. use the word folks a lot. I noticed that a lot lately. The folks is always like, what being added on. Black folks is a good one. African if you don't know American. what to say, no, don't say African-American. God, I don't like that. And, and so Thank I, you. Most people don't. <laughs> Most black people don't. You, you, you know why? It was, a, it was a word that was invented in the 1980s during a political campaign. Uh. And it was first used by Jesse Jackson. I, don't, I think he wanted everyone to adopt it quickly. I don't think anybody really did. And the only person, people that did adopt it is, is mostly um, white folks. You know, so it's like that, that, that's something that sounds politically correct. And for the most part, it is. I don't think people are going to get offended when they hear the word at all. But I think, you know, within the black community, I think we use, you know, the, the, I think for the most part, you know, uh, we use the word black. Black Americans, black. Mm. That's that's the word we use. Cool. Well, yeah. thanks. Thanks for the clarification. <laughs> yeah. Everybody listening, now yeah. you know. That's what you do. Yeah. Um, so something that I've been asking a lot of just random black people at the gym, black friends, people mm -hmm. like, is there a party recently? And one of my, my buddies, his name is Oren. He, he listens, so he'll probably hear this right now. Hello, Oren. Um, we were staying, we are hanging out, and I was like, you know, just da da da. And I'm like, oh, shit, you're black. Like, how is this hitting you? You know? And then my question for people is like, what is your response to the whole BLM movement and, you know, this sudden abrupt spike in awareness of what's happening with inequality and oppression and prejudice and all of that? Um, and how does a, a white dude or girl, uh, what's the appropriate response when the world feels so kind of like divisive and tumultuous? Mm -hmm. And if you don't say enough, then you're saying, you know, then it's, that's a form of violence. And if you, then you don't want a virtue signal and just be yeah. saying stuff that you're not truly feeling. And then it's a, it's a weird line to walk yeah. in my experience. Well, I think it's a good time for everyone, but white folks specifically, and it is just to this is the time to hone in on your awareness. Yeah. You know? This is awareness moment. You know, you gotta know when to speak, when to step up, when to step back. I think because the voices are really loud right now. There's a lot of noise, you know, and there's a lot of folks that are trying to uh, get points across that have been ignored for hundreds of years, dozens of years, decades, right? That and, and they're trying to speak. So there's there, we need to make space and make room for those voices to be heard. But mm. at the same time, it's also a time where, for the first time in my life, I've seen as many white folks out there, you know, being a part of the movement than ever before. You know, yeah. I lived in LA when 
the Rodney King riots happened. You know, it looked very different. You know, even on TV, uh, four, six years ago, you know, when Michael Brown and Ferguson, we see, you know, majority people of color out in the streets. Uh, I was driving through Laguna Niguel two weeks ago. Um, I, her, my wife's parents live in Laguna Niguel. And uh, we were driving through, and at an intersection, I saw about 200 people at a BLM con uh, uh, protest. Out picket signs, you hear it before you even see it. It's so loud. Mm. I get there to this intersection, not a black face in sight, man. Mm. All whites, all white folks out there, BLM, Black Lives Matter, that's different. Yeah. Like, that's something I've never seen before. That's something that brings forth hope when you see that type of diversity talking about equality. That's really what we're talking about at the end of the day. You know, yeah. a few years back, um, there was, uh, gay marriage was passed, you know, um, by Congress, right? And so there's equality that was happening there. We've been on an equality tip for quite some time, and now we need to deal with what the shadow, the shadow is of this, of this country, which is the shadow around you know, the relationships between blacks and whites. We really need to deal with that right now. But it's just another piece of the equality that we've been pushing for for quite some time. So I can see why folks are jumping on and really seeing and hearing this issue in a new way. It's because we've already been sort of consciously and subconsciously moving towards a more equal, more equity across the entire continent. We've, it's, it's already been going there. We're, the momentum, the drive has already been there. Now this happens, and you see a man get lynched, you know, on national TV, and they show the whole, the whole video. You see the life come out of this man. Yep. I, I can't imagine, uh, I can't imagine any, if there's anyone out there that didn't feel something when that happened. If you didn't feel like, that shit was wrong right there. Like, yep. that that was wrong. We can't stand for that. Even if they weren't vocal about it, something inside, it's hard for me to believe that there's humans out there that did not feel a little something when that happened because that was real. You saw this defenseless, defenseless man get the life squeezed out of him when he was handcuffed and on the ground face down. Like, yep. that's, that's heavy. I wonder what your perspective, I've got, like, so many questions. I wonder what your reaction to the, the Candace Owens video which I'd imagine you've probably seen where she's kind of breaking down like the history of George Floyd and you know um, that black people are the only folks that we end up putting murderers and drug addicts and all these people like up on this pedestal to pedestal to, to martyr and this and that um, I have my thoughts on that which I think it's um, it, what we're looking at is we're looking at a symptom of a sim of a system that's sick mm -hmm. You know, and so it's not about the history of the being. It's what created that history in the first place, mm -hmm. and what's the system that, that that that's it's structured such that that that, that exists in the first place. Um, but I'm curious how that hits you. Yeah, but I think the word you just said was very key: structured. It was already structured that way, so it was it was never sick. It was just we're pulling back the curtain of Oz. It's it, it was it was built not well. It was built. It was it was specifically designed to do exactly what it's doing right now. And now that we're becoming more conscious and, we, and we're talking more equality in our nation, I think more folks are coming on board with that, that all those systems that, that, uh, that hurt people, that bring forth pain, that incarcerates you know, kids and children and folks for no reason, 
um, you know, we're, we're seeing this in front of us and we're saying, wait a minute, this is not right. This is not right. And you got more people coming forth and talking about that. Um, you know, Candace Owens, you know, that, that's her rhetoric. You know, I, you know, there's, Candace has had a, a long history of, you know, speaking this way and, 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 uh, and she, she has a pretty large base because of it, you know, and there's a lot of us who feel that there's, it's very possible she could be uh, being manipulated and used possibly to, to put that message out there. You know, uh, I believe it was the Ohio NAACP, um, former NAACP president that came out and said that Candace Owens, you know, came to him 10 years ago. And uh, she was very liberal at that time. And she was complaining about abuse that was happening to her. And, um, and he's just really shocked in the way that she's flip-flopped <laughs> over the last 10 years, you know, to go completely over to the other side of this and begin to blame black folks. I mean, the way she said George Floyd was a criminal, you know, a common criminal, even if he was a common criminal, what happened out there on that street yeah. shouldn't, ha shouldn't happen to anybody, yeah. no matter what. That man was defenseless. He didn't have a weapon. There was no one's life at threat there. He went down um, and he died on that ground um, for, you know, because of this system that we live in. And, this, and he's not the only one. A week later, Rayshard Brooks was shot in the back, yep. you know, while he was running away at a Wendy's after sleeping in a car, talking to the officers for 30 minutes. And then he's running. He turns around. Okay, he, he points. He, he may have pointed the taser. We don't know if he pointed the taser. We just saw, saw him turn around. But he was afraid. He's running. He knows. And even before he pulled the taser out, before even the cop even, um, before he turns around with the taser, Rayshard Brooks, the officer already, before he even turned around, had his hand. He was going for his weapon, you know. So it, it, whether he turned around or not, there could have been a, a fatal moment no matter what. Yeah. I'm curious, the other kind of like hard question that I'm coming upon that I don't have answers to is being able to define, is there a difference between the general Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Lives Matter the organization, because that's something that there has been some contention around like, oh, like this money is going to act blue and it's going to support the Democratic Party and the DNC. And, you know, and, and, and I wonder, I just don't know. I don't think I'm in a position to have a, a meaningful understanding because I don't think that I'm in a position that I'll probably get the answers of like what the hell is really going on in the world with coronavirus and BLM and just yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, but do you see any differentiation between the organization itself and the, the, the grander movement? Yeah, I mean, when you get movements this big, you can just kind of bet on there's going to be, you know, groups that co-op, you know, uh, these type of, uh, of movements or they usurp, you know, particular movements like this. And um, BLM is an organization. It is a, an actual organization that's, that's, that's run by the community and run by folks that, uh, that are out there that have been running this organization for six years now, maybe more. And what they're doing is, is, is what they're doing. They can't organize the entire country. Yep. And so you've got cities where you have, you know, smaller groups that are popping up, and we don't know where all those funds are going. We just we don't know. Yep. But that's, that's what happens in these type of movements. You know, a lot of times it goes from being a movement, you know, and, and that movement and that group is focused on its mission – and what it wants to accomplish. And then you'll see, you know, your copycats pop up somewhere else. Yep. You'll see GoFundMe pages for BLM. You'll see all, you'll see these things happen. It's 
what happens when you have large movements like this. Um, and so I'm, I don't know personally if there's – I don't know any groups personally that are doing that, but I'm sure there is. It hap- it's happened throughout history. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to understand more what's going on with the intrinsics of it. Um, something that – another really interesting idea that I'm being – it's just – kind of coming to my awareness in a deeper way than I ever had before. It's things that I kind of tacitly held beliefs, but it was kind of, it wasn't to the same degree now where it feels as though slavery has just been redistributed, you know, and this isn't my idea. This is stuff that I've, I've gathered, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the 13th amendment mm-hmm. and you know, where it's like, okay, like none of them or no more of the slavery stuff mm-hmm. unless, unless you commit a crime. You know, and so then it's like it's like so I I I read the book um, New Jim Crow White White Fragility, oh, White Fragility. and that was one of the things where one of the things that, that it got into with that um, was how o- oppression and and prejudice is highly adaptable, you know, and so we can because something isn't in the front yard anymore mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that the the, the quantity of it is less, mm-hmm. you know, it, it could just be that we've redistributed it. Now into uh, now it's under the bed and now it's in the attic and um, and, and that's just one idea. I don't I don't know. That, well, I'm that, curious that, your perception. Yeah, of it. that now it's in our prisons, right? We've right. got the highest population of of inmates in the entire world. You know, there's 2.2 million um, Americans who are locked up in this country. Uh, many of them, and in, in a large proportion of them, are disproportionately black and brown that are that are incarcerated. Um, we have the prison industrial complex, right? So where before, you know, I, 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 how I see this before, we were um, picking cotton, right? You know, turning those into bales, selling, and then the slave owner slips, uh, sells the bales. Now we have people that are in prison making products for large corporations in this country at, you know, cents to the dollar. And, and, and the laws are such that, you know, you've got majority of people that are incarcerated of, of color that are incarcerated for nonviolent offenses, yep. right? So, you know, do they need to be in there? No. Did they commit a crime? Yes. Are the laws, you know, uh, set up so people can fail, especially in, you know, uh, inner cities and, in, in, you know, in, in heavily populated black, black, and brown, black and brown communities? Yes. So now we're... We're we're in, and not only not only that we're also opening up private prisons. So in other words, you and I can just wake up tomorrow and say, hey, you know what? Start a prison, you know. And so what you do is you you build this prison. You contract with some of your major, you know, corporations that build computers, build builds cars, builds clothing, you know, gadgets, whatever. Say, hey, I'm building this. I've got some you know some labor, you know. We're, we're going to pay them, you know, a dollar fifty an hour. Hmm. They don't have to go to China anymore to get those things made, where it's going to cost them two fifty an hour, right? Um, and you, and now we've now that's that's a whole other industry or in, in complex of uh, private ownership of prisons that are making things for these large corporations. Let's in, let's in, let's let's lock up all the you know this labor, mostly disproportionately black and brown in our communities. Yep. And we can do it that way. We don't have we don't have to do it in the under the uh, under the the umbrella of slavery anymore. We can do it under the guise of they're criminals. They yeah. should be locked up. And so, uh, 
and same things happen. And, and, and where they train them, they train them as kids. You know, they train them as kids. I, I, for the last 16 years of my life, I've been working um, for justice for youth, you know, that are incarcerated and, and kids. Like these are, these are under 18-year-old kids who a lot of times come out of the foster care system and go right into the probation system and probation system into juvenile incarceration. Juvenile incarceration is, is pretty much a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a death sentence into prison. And then when they turn 18, it's not like it just stops. They just get arrested at 18. It's just a different type of house you go to that night, you know. You go into the, into the jails and then jails to prisons. So, it's, you know, we're, it's, it's, it's all about stopping that sort of the trajectory, the funnel that gets kids in there in the first place because then they become the men and women who are then making these products for these companies that are paying $1.50 an hour and it's, there's a whole other, it's a whole other hidden industry there. Yeah. And so, uh, and their and their products themselves. And their products themselves, who are warehoused to come out of their cells at a certain time in the day to go do the do, go do the job, come back in and sit there for however long, you know, they have to live out that sentence. How does that exist? How does that exist? <laughs> yeah. Because same same with I think very much so the same way that. A lot of folks when George Floyd was killed and there was all this uprising, a lot of people said, oh, wait, racism is still here. But didn't Obama like he was president, right? Like we're done with racism. That's the way. There's just things that folks don't see because they just happen to not be paying attention. It's just it's there. It's there all over the place. But 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 until you look for it, you won't see these type of things. And one other reason why it, ex- why it exists is because people, we, we call them criminals. As soon as we, 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 we pretty much, you know, uh, we pretty much denounce them as humans as soon as we say they're criminals. As soon as they're criminals, we're like, okay, they did something wrong, they killed someone. And in our minds, in our minds, most people, when you think of someone in prison, you think of horrible things. You think of child predator, murderer, some heinous crime. But you don't think about someone who just has a substance issue, you know, who's got locked up for just, you know, sleeping on too many park benches and went from, you know, jail for whatever reason for loitering into prison later on. Like there's so many different ways and entry points for prison. So you, we don't think about these these folks. They're not they're not all necessarily child predators and rapists and, and murderers. These are human beings who really just need help. It's very socioeconomic. Yeah. What is, I was looking and I was researching into the, the, the value of an individual prisoner uh, in the United States and the numbers that I watched your TED talk and the numbers that you had were large. It was like, it was like a quarter of a million yeah. a year. How does that work exactly? So how that works exactly is that there, how that works is um, the county of whatever, I'm just going to use California for example. Yeah. So, it works off of their budget, right? So if the, you know, Los Angeles County Probation Department has a $1 billion budget, right? And they've got, you know, say, 1,000 kids, you know, or 2,000 kids who are um, locked up currently, but you've got thousands more that are being processed and, and booked every single year. They're gonna they're gonna staff that a certain way. So most of that money goes towards staffing. Hmm. That's all personnel dollars. 
And even when your numbers are low, like right now, Los Angeles is really low as far as numbers. There's been a lot of closures in the youth detention facilities, which we, increases the value of the prisoner, like, like exactly like a commodity because they don't because they don't they don't they don't get rid of staff. So you've got the same amount of staff but less kids. Um, so you're gonna you're gonna triple up, quadruple the amount of staff that that would usually be on one kid sub- supervising one kid because they can't fire that staff you know you've got unions that fight against that you've got so many different layers to why um, our probation system is still so very large Hmm. Uh, and and we are actively trying to break that up right now Um, and uh, and he actually even defunded we're, 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 there's a big defund probation campaign as well as defund the police campaign that makes a ton of sense yeah like the defund fund the police thing in my limited perspective of what's going on like it, it almost makes sense in my mind to give more money to police in a way to give them better training and focus on mental health care and like you know i don't i don't know i'm just kind of like toying with yeah. different ideas like reallocate funds i think would mm-hmm. be like it wouldn't be as good on a on a cardboard sign mm-hmm. um but to just take money away entirely from all police like a blanket statement like that it feels like that wouldn't that would be a challenging thing to do in the first place well, the, I don't cha- know if the challenging the, the thing. challenging thing to do is to retrain police right like, that's challenging so excuse me um right now um the defund conversation is huge and i think completely defunding is probably not realistic realistic now but actually reassigning those dollars to to people that could do the job a little bit better for yeah. example you know most police um don't actually stop crime like they don't stop crime. They they show up after the crime, right? And there's the crime has happened. They they're there, but as far as like showing up right when someone's climbing in through a window of a house, it, sometimes it just doesn't happen because um you know, not everyone has a, you know, house alarm or something. They they do stop crime. I'm just I'm just saying not all the time. Yeah. So maybe creating a system to where that's their job when when there is something happening at that moment, but when there is, you know, uh you know, a traffic stop, right? Like, um, and, you know, you've got an armed officer coming over to, to hand you a ticket. You know what I mean? Is that the best use right. of that individual, right? Could that be a different service, you know? Um, when there is a, an argument between a husband and a wife, you know, and it's a nonviolent argument, 911 gets called, my husband's just yelling at me, Is maybe those dollars would be better used if we had very trained mental health professionals that intervene at that moment, you know, that, that can come in and, and assess the situation um, it's in, instead of accelerate the situation, which happens a lot of times when you have armed officers that show up in different situations where you have mental health, individ, individuals that need mental health that are, um, that 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 needs the need that need the right kind of words at that moment, right? right. That, that need the right type of sensitivity at that moment, um, and a lot of times officers aren't prepared for that. And I know that I work I work closely with officers. You know, we um, um, I've worked closely with the probation department. I've worked in the jails. I've seen de-escalation. I've seen you know uh, in the streets. I've seen you know house arrests. I've seen different things happen over the years, and I know that. They also don't want to be considered mental health professionals because they know they weren't trained that way. They're like, why are we doing this job? Um, we should be doing this job. Right? Yep. 
it's fascinating how we have it's it's completely allegory to the western model of medicine where it's like okay md yeah. you know or you're like a surgeon okay <laughs> cool like well i have these cramps yeah right you know like well should we cut that shit out like well i have i've got the tools you know and so it's an interesting thing with when that goes over to our criminal justice system as well where we kind of have this tool that's supposed to assess all of these different all things all these different things and they get only trained for one right they get tra- they get trained to to intervene in that moment when there's when there's when there's crime when there's a crime that happens and they, and they get trained other ways too but i'm saying as far as the um when assessing or when intervening in as we're mentioning these mental health uh, situations, you know, they they may not be the best equipped to do that right now. Yeah. Right. And and I know folks say let's just put more training to that. Not everybody can do that. You're gonna, you know, there there needs to be their own psychological testing to see if they they're even capable to to even have um, psychological conversations with other yeah. people too. So I want. So you are the person or one of the people to talk to about what does one actually do beyond virtue signaling with a meme on their Instagram um, to actually take action on it. Cause I feel like there's a lot of people that feel pressured to like mm-hmm. take a stance and do their thing. And then they'll probably move on with their lives, you know, within a week or so like, cool, I did my thing. I put my meme up. Yeah, yeah, Great. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, I feel satisfied, mm-hmm. you know, but you're a person that's like, no, I'm actually taking a stand. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so people listening, like how do if they like how does yeah. one actually get hands in the dirt involved to take and, and maybe posting a meme is more meaningful than I'm making it out to be, but Yeah. You know, I that's a that's a really good question. I think the first thing to do is in any situation where you're sort of in this liminal space, yep. this disequilibrium is to first get your footing, you know, like everyone's kind of shaken up right now. Like just stop, land, look around, hmm. you know, what's going on around me? Where internally do I feel some sort of conflict as well? Where hmm. are my beliefs? Where do I stand in all of this in the first place? Um, how, how can I move forward? How can I have conversations with others? How can I educate myself? I think the first thing to do is just to begin to really just get curious. Curious is the mother of possibility. So Hmm. getting curious is the first thing to do and to look into where can I begin to um, find the answers that I'm looking for without needing them to be handed to me or finding everything on social media. Just there's for, for the the black experience, there's so much out there. There's just a plethora of books and movies and that folks, if, if you have no idea what folks have been through and what they're talking about when they say black lives matter, there's, there's ways to just begin to just dig. What would and, you recommend? I mean, at this time right now, I mean, I, I would recommend Autobiography of Malcolm X be a must read. I'll, I'll, I recommend anything written by James Baldwin is is a must. Um, I recommend watching certain movies, Twelve Years a Slave, you know, uh, reading Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow, like in, about the prison industrial complex, like really looking at w- where is the root of all this happening. You yeah. know, what I find is that it's all based in socioeconomic 
distress. You know, this is these are these are cities that have just they're just just squeezed out of life, and folks are um, folks are asking for help. You know, folks are asking for support. You know, and and there's a lot of people out there that says, you know what, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Hmm. There's a lot of people out there that ain't got no boots, and it's and for multi generations haven't had any boots. Like like they've never had boots. So it's like, how do how do I get out of this hole? How do I pull myself out of this hole? And a lot of times when folks are close to getting out of that hole, there's something that happens, and and then they're back down again. It's just it's it's a constant, you know, um, you know fly in a jar scenario of just bumping your head against the top and you just you can't get past the lid Mm. and so um i think looking around looking to see where you can possibly learn more in it if you're interested if you're curious enough you know i i I advise people to find an organization near to you or nearby close and just go and be in that place you don't have to go and say anything or bring a gift or anything just go and be yeah just just listen and find out what are the struggles you know from their point of view you know um you know don't come with the with the with the prescribed method of of fixing things just just come and be and listen and what needs to happen at that point is that at that point you'll know what to do it may take however long it takes but it may take some time for you to say, okay, here's where my gift can matter in the middle of all of this, but um, but to be with the people first because there's there's, there's trust that needs to be created and nurtured. Um, folks need to know you don't you know that folks don't have an agenda. You know it it, it just it just that's how we begin to build these bridges. That's all it is. This is a this is a human thing that we're dealing with. Yeah. Like, this is all human. It's it's all me to you. It's it's all like how we're sitting here. This type of thing can fix it, <laughs> right? Just having a conversation, just being together, listening, you know, and just and just being interested, not having an agenda, and just have a conversation builds trust, and trust builds friendships and relationships. And imagine if we could do that everywhere. Imagine if we can pull you know, folks in from everywhere to sit down and just let's, let's break bread and let's just talk. Yeah. I wonder your perception of, like it feels like suffering is distributed throughout the system, whether you visibly see it or not. You know, so when you look at uh, like the, the rate of suicide, it's the vast majority is middle-aged white men. You know, and the highest usage of antipsychotic medication, antidepressants, and anti-anxiety, and all that stuff. Like it's the the people that are in it's the 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 privileged people. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if it's possible to oppress without oppressing yourself, in a sense. Even if quantitatively it mm-hmm. appears on paper like you're winning, I wonder if it's possible to hit someone without having some type of response on yourself. Mm. You know, so it really feels uh, like it's all we're always we're always together, whether we yeah. have the idea the story of separation or not. Like I don't think we we can break that togetherness part. Mm-hmm. Mm, and we share we share that by the way too, suicide. So um, yes, white males have the highest uh, level of of suicide, but that's on a micro level. Look at the macro level of the black man. Mm. Us killing each other, 56 shot in Chicago this past weekend. 
Hmm. Right? That's a level of that's suicide. There's some su- that's just a macro level. That's the self of the community, the community self killing itself, right? There's hmm. it's it's squeezing the life out of itself. Why? Right? And so that's also something to look at. Why are we committing a community suicide, you know? So hmm. it's um there's there's a um there's a there's a lot to look at when that comes down to it. I was listening to uh, another, I believe it was another podcast this past weekend, and there was there, there you know there was there was a sense of there being a separation, right? And I think we do that often when it was it was a it was a, a black man and a, and a white man having a conversation, and it was just it was an us and them conversation. And then in the middle of that, I'm like, there's part of our problem as well is that we 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 as a nation have a problem with othering. You know, it's just it's just a deep seated thing that's underneath the rug that we don't talk about is that we, how much we other each other, hmm. you know, and um, I was having this conversation the other day, but that comes from between the black and the white man. Yes, it, it goes back to slavery, but it didn't get capitalized on until the mid 1800s when uh, when Jim Crow started. And a lot of people don't know. They know about the Jim Crow laws, but they don't know where the word Jim Crow comes from. And Jim Crow um, comes from a character that Jim Rice in, 19, in 1828 played on stage. Um, during an intermission of a theater in a small town in Kentucky, Jim Rice, um, actor, came out in, for the first time in history, came out in blackface. Came out in blackface and he imitated a, a, a guy that lived on his street in rags and you know he came in when he had his southern black accent and you know he laughed a lot and he slapped his knee and he had a you know a bird cage on the on the stage and he's throwing chicken bones at it and rolling a watermelon across the stage and it was the first time in history that um that wasn't the first time in history that whites imitated blacks it was the first time in history that it was done as a monologue and it was done in this isolated way to where everyone was able to focus in, right? And so that got wildly popular at that time. People found themselves fascinated by blackface in the way that, that people, but the way that this character, Jim Crow, um, imitated what they saw as blackness at that time. Well, later on, 40 years later, when, you know, uh, after the emancipation of proclamation, after, you know, slaves were freed, um, because of this 30-year really long stint of this character literally conditioning people, conditioning uh, society up in, the, up in the north where they never really had a lot of contact with blacks, the only sort of understanding or idea they, they, got, they had of black people were what they found in these Jim Crow series, that these, these stage acts. Hmm. So they're like, okay, that's how black people are. Okay, oh, they're lazy. You know, they love chicken. Oh, they love watermelon. Oh, yeah, oh, wow. So that became their consciousness of black folks, right? That became what they thought because they didn't interact with them. They only, they only got what Jim Rice and, and folks that came after him brought to them of what black people were like. See, without that, we would have possibly had a different idea of who the black man, black women were in this country. But because of that particular stage act, it turned out that way. And then, so after Procl- Emancipation Proclamation, during Reconstruction, when there's laws of segregation that needed to go into place, 
um, down in the South, they just gave it the name Jim Crow laws. Hmm. And that's how we got our Jim Crow laws, and it just stuck with people. So then that character got um, immortalized into the laws, and it just it just went deeper and deeper. So now that particular idea is now law, you know, and it's, and we're still today trying to undo that. And I think a lot of folks are trying to consciously untie that in their mind, their their prejudice and their discrimination um, against black folks because it's so embedded in the fabric. And so that's what I say, like, just drop in and, and, and question where these things may be and then go and look for ways to, to untangle that, whether it be movies or books or, or you know, dropping in at a community center, you know, and, and being a part of a community that, that are, that are, that's looking to uplift the black community and, uh, and not further um, subjugate. Yeah. I wonder your perception of how, is this is kind of like harking back to something I was already mentioning, but like how much progress has actually been made since, say, 1865 or, you know, when it was like slavery, front yard, lynching, you know, like, yeah, of course, yeah. that's cultural, no problem. Um, do you feel like... Like we've got Obama and Eddie Murphy and yeah. like whether it's like The Rock or he's Hawaiian or whatever, but like yeah. people, you know, brown, yeah. black, like, yeah. like people are yeah. Oprah. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you could have, and in white fragility, they would they would definitely go against that that argument. They have a whole counter argument with that. Um, you know, how much progress actually has been made? Because there is the redis the potential just redistribution right. of all of that oppression mm -hmm. and put on a different face. Um, but another argument could be that, like, yeah, white people clearly started on third and black people are kind of like, you know, barely halfway to first mm -hmm. and they're running real fast. Mm -hmm. But I want, do you have some type of conceptual sense of, like, where are we? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. You know, there was a head start, you know, uh, with whites and a lot of it came out of just real estate, right? Like, just the, just the passing out of real estate in the 1800s and land ownership and... You know, that's where a lot of the wealth came from. And it's, it's because blacks were redlined, you know, all the way up until civil rights movement and then still in some, you know, st still in, in, in ways today, still being redlined from real estate where they can't purchase or get the loans that they they deserve uh, for properties. I think that has a lot to do with it. real estate is hmm. is king in this planet. Like, you know, so if you if you own real estate, you, you probably have, you know, um, some generational wealth, you know what I mean? So that, that there's power there. There's power with that. You know, one other thing is that, you know, 55 years ago, you and I couldn't do this. You yeah. Know what I mean? Like this would not be happening 55 years ago, right? Like that, that's like a little over a half a century ago. That wasn't that long ago. I think that would go into the, the progress bucket. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We're going into that progress bucket now, you know, with that. There's been a lot of progress. I mean, yes, we've elected – a black president, you know, I didn't think I'd ever see that in my lifetime. I don't think anybody ever thought they'd see that in their lifetime. I think, you know, we had folks that that ran for president. You know, Jesse Jackson ran for president. Uh, you know, Al Sharpton ran for president. I mean, there were so many folks that ran for president, but we never thought we'd have a, had a chance. And then Barack steps up, you know, and he comes out, and he's powerful, and he's real, and he's, and he's coming, and he's, and he's here to make some change. He's going to do the best he can with the Congress he has, you know, to, to push forward you know, more equality in this country, you know, tons of progress there. 
I think we're I think we're closer than ever right now, though. You know, I think right now at this time, what we see in the streets, the way that we see people coming together, the way you see, you know, like I just mentioned, I was in Orange, South Orange County, and I see 200 people at a Black Lives Matter protest, and I didn't see any black people. That's progress. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's people that are standing up, and maybe they were out there for just the weekend. The symbol of it was still important. Yeah. It's important for, the, for, for their children one day to see it, or it's important for my children one day to see that, that, that this isn't, we're breaking down these barriers, these separations that should have never really existed in the first place. And we're making tons of progress. Are we there yet? No, because we're still, it's, it's, it's still a socioeconomic problem. We still need to figure out how to find equality within land ownership, within our banking systems, within our, our healthcare medical systems, all these systems, we still need to learn how to get more folks what they need. Because like I mentioned, there, there are folks that do not have any boots at all. They never did, yeah. ever since slavery ended, since the Reconstruction. They've, they've never really had what they needed. And a lot of times because they're living in rural communities or, or just even in the cities, you know, through segreg- segregation, they didn't. So it's only been about, you know, 50 years um, since um, things started to really move forward. We start breaking down these separation walls and we probably got a, a ways to go. Yeah. I wonder what your sense of it boggles my mind in a, in a way that prison systems could be for profit organizations. What is the argument that that makes sense and that's even permitted? I just, it's a business, you know, I, and I think I think it has a lot to do with the argument. When I when I see private prisons go up, it's usually in a community that wants to boost their economy and, and create jobs, you know. And these private prisons go up in these rural towns, and you know they can employ 400, 500 people, and they come in with a rah rah rah, we're going to give you jobs, you know. Hmm. But then overnight they'll change some laws too. You know, and the laws will change. And there's only f- certain folks that are going to know those laws change. And there's going to be some folks who are just got their heads down and they're working every day and they're not really paying attention to what laws change and what laws, you know, they've got, you know, three kids and you might be a single mom. You know, and the ni- overnight the laws change and you're like, wait, I'm being arrested for what? I'm being charged for what? I'm in this courtroom because what did I do? Yeah. And you're locked up. And then those are the folks that, that end up in, in a lot of these facilities a lot of times. Like I said, You'd be shocked to, to, to find that most, of, most folks that are in our county jails today are there because of violations of probation. You know, you didn't, you didn't go see your, right. your, your, you know, your probation officer or you didn't, you know, go check in with your judge on time. And, you know, you just missed too many appointments and I've been looking for you and where you been and I don't believe you. Oh, I got to take you in. Oh, you're giving me an attitude. Well, put those cuffs on and now we're just going to take a ride to the station. Oh, you're going to be booked. Oh, you'll be out after the weekend. Oh, sorry. We've got to move the court date out another week or so. Oh, wait, we got to move it again. We got to move it. And you got folks that happens every single day. And then next thing you know, folks are sitting in jail. You know, kids are at home wondering where mommy and daddy are at, you know, and, 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 and this is our, this is our justice system. And it, and it seems to be okay for a lot of, for a lot of folks that are working in that system. It's just, it's just a machine. Walk into an L.A. County courthouse, you know what I mean, and, and, and you'll see how sort of monotonous this whole thing is. You know, you, you, it, it, there doesn't seem to be any intention. Everything's so mechanical, 
prosecutor comes in. He's in this and this and that. The judge is late. Judge comes out. He's half awake. You know, and it's just this sort of sleepy, slow-moving system for justice. And it's just the way that it is these days. And once again, you go to any L.A. County, LA, LA County courthouse, um, in any criminal, you know, division, um, and you're going to find disproportionately black and brown people yeah. every time. Just walk the halls. Just walk the halls. As you're describing the, the criminal justice system, it sounds to me like going back to like a, like a medical analogy, it sounds a lot like a cancer. Yeah. Like it's taking seemingly benign cells and hacking them in a way and then it gets within the system and then it pulls life force from them mm-hmm. yes yeah, it's, it's that scene from the matrix when you know when morpheus pulls back the curtain and says you know we're you know we're all going to be one of these one day and he pulls out a duracell battery right it's like that's what this country runs on these these things generate cash i mean you know courts and jails i mean these are money making machines i mean and and, and it's and you know, private prisons, it's, a, it's, it's private money machines, but even in the governmental, you know, sectors, you know, you, it's, it's, it, it drives jobs and money and it, it employs people and it's billions of dollars. And, you know, a lot of times you don't know where that money goes. You know, L.A. County Probation Department, um, the, oh, two years ago, it, they discovered, though, we have $200 million sitting here that we didn't know. It was allocated for the community, but we didn't get it out. It's just sitting here, right? Like money just gets stuck in places too where it should have been put to good use and go to community-based organizations that could, you know, actually intervene and, and support and, and do interventions. But no, it didn't, you know, and these things happen all the time. You, you go and you start digging into the books of a lot of these large governmental agencies, you'll see that this isn't working the way that it's supposed to Yeah, many times. And, uh, and a lot of folks and a lot of, a lot of people lose out because of that. It's just it's just the way that it is. So for people listening that are like, I would prefer to um, rehabilitate or eliminate that cancer from the the organism. Yeah. What are the the action steps from that? Because again, like all of this stuff, it feels from my mind feels very daunting. Where I'm like, I can get angry. Yeah. You know, but it's actually a sense of like, where do I get traction with it? Yeah, it's intimidating. It's a beast. It really is a beast. You know, our justice system is a very, very, very scary beast. It yeah. really is. And when you when you're going, you've up, been circulated in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 I, you know, and you know, I've been in moments where, when standing up, you know, you have to make a decision on um, how to keep at it, um, but not biting it in its leg, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is a, it's, it's that big of a beast, and you're like a poodle, and this thing is a, you know, this thing is a pit bull. This thing is a giant pit bull, and it will eat you alive, I mean, no matter what. And so um, you've got the way to go about it is to, once again, find out what's going on. Get grounded. Look around. Then get involved with organizations that are that are organizing, that are that are that are affecting and and going to affect uh, change. Would and you recommend anyone? I, 
Your but organization. My organization, New Earth Organization. Yep. We're involved in youth justice throughout L.A. County. So uh, we also, you know, uh, go up and do policy change and, and meet with senators and, uh, and and assembly people up in, in up in Sacramento all the time and we sit down and we meet and we we come with agenda we come with kids we that 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 know what they want I you know the kids should be the ones who are talking to these folks letting them know like this isn't working in my community so they can help also shift you know the policy there uh, the youth justice coalition is, a, is another one here in Los Angeles um, anti-recidivism coalition uh, here in Los Angeles there's there's several organizations that are um, very much so uh, looking to shift the policy that are that are on the front lines every single day um, um, in the faces of our board of supervisors in the faces of our sheriff's department LAPD um, with very um, very articulated lists of demand yep. you know um, and and are really effective you know if, if, you know these groups have um, have basically uh, begun to um, dismantle our our probation department here. You know, we went from having 20 youth detention facilities open in 2007, 2008, and down to we, I think there's five or six that are open today. Cool. You know, Los Angeles was the largest incarcerator of children in the world for 30 years. And so we incarcerated more kids under the eight, under the age of 18 than any other place per capita. So that's changing now. So we, what's changing that? What is it specific? I mean, I think you're you're yeah. explaining, but like, what is it? Because that's cool. Yeah. And what's changing is that there's research, right? Like we're, we're going in and we're researching and we're finding out, you know, things that weren't being looked at before. We're finding out that 70% of the, the, the youth that are detained in L.A. County were being detained for nonviolent um, um technical violations yep. for probation violations. And these are the things I mentioned earlier. They weren't, you know, checking in with their probation officer or they weren't, you know, going to see the judge or they were uh, late for school or not showing up to school. These were these were marks on their probation report card. And then when they got enough marks, you know, the cop came to their house, a couple squad cars, took them in, they did six months. And these are things that are that are not crimes. You know, these are these the things that they were being locked up for were things that you can easily you know, if you had the right mentor, even, you know, turn some things around. So we begin to, we begin to argue that mentorship was, was going to work far better than their probation solutions. Yep. And they began to listen a little more. You know, we, we, they, they brought in a new probation chief who came in and on her first day as probation chief, she came in and she, she downsized by about 400 officers. You know, trying to weed the bad ones out. So you had these revolutionary acts that that take place, and and I think that's what needs to happen in in most cities where this is still so prevalent. Is you know, elect and bring folks in, get out there and vote and bring folks in that can that can come in and make a real difference, not just more of the moldy old you know, the same you know, just the you know the uh, the folks who have always come in and continue at the same particular you know day-to-day that's been going on since 1903 la county probation department's been around since 1903 yeah so you're so the your organization goes in one of the i'd like to learn more about the specifics of it but but one of the things that you do is it, it it changes the environment of 
is it just juvenile or prison systems in no, general? No, just, just juvenile. Just juvenile. Yeah. So, so it's going in, and, and when a person goes into a place, they become that place. Like that's one of the interesting things that makes human human is yeah. our capacity for adaptation. You put me into whatever shape, Bruce Lee, like what are you mm-hmm. become the box? You know, mm-hmm. like you go into that place, like okay, here I right, this is me. You know, and and it's I think it's I posted up a thing up on the 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 social media about the the Pygmalion effect, which I think Aubrey and you guys talked about, um, where the Pygmalion effect is this mythological story. This sculptor, he um, called Pygmalion. Mm-hmm. You know this story already, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I apologize, but no, so this, this sculptor Pygmalion, um, he created this this ivory sculpture of this beautiful woman and then there was this holiday thing and he asked Aphrodite to bring him a woman in the in the essence of his ivory girl or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And she she granted his wish. Mm-hmm. And so the the Pygmalion effect is that when my perception of you almost it, it draws those qualities out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your perception of me draws those qualities out. Mm-hmm. There's no you and me. It's this this interactive dance, mm-hmm. you know. And you, you got to wonder how much of that is your imagination, how much of that is our, is our illusion too, right? It's like this transference that sometimes takes place too, right? Like, like if 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 we're not careful, we can do. Going back to the Jim Crow, you can do the, you can do the Jim Crow on somebody, right? You can go back and say, okay, I already know who you are, what you are, what you stand for, because I have this preconditioned you know, mindset that this is who I'm interacting with, you know, and that transference begin to take place. Yep. And I'm, and now I'm, I'm seeing you a certain way. And then because I'm seeing you that certain way, you begin to become that for me. Oh yeah. And you coming up to the, 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 the say white cop, black guy in the car, yep. black guy in the car, he immediately likely for good reason goes into like a fear response. Yeah. Okay. I get tense. I'm starting to sweat a little bit. You know, okay, like, can't keep the hands up and the whole thing. And I have this perception of, okay, what's this guy going to do to me? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm painting that on them, and I'm having this physiological response. And then the cop's coming up, and, oh, this car, they got a taillight out. They're, you know, they're, uh, the tint's kind of jacked mm-hmm. up. You mm-hmm. know, it's a black guy. Like, okay, like, what, mm-hmm. what am I going into this? So he's painting that experience, and then the waves come in, and poof. Yeah, the conflict. Boom. You know, yeah. it's so it's it's like that. Yeah. It's yeah. that 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 story. Yeah, yeah. It's that story. It's that. And they they they're both they they both have a narrative. You know, that collides somewhere in there. You know, um, recently someone I knew was pulled over for tinted windows just about a month ago. He's a big black guy, former NFL player, right? Uh, and he had a he had a kid in the car who was on probation, and he got pulled over. Took three cop cars to pull him over for whatever reason his windows were tinted yes and and that's why they say they pulled him over but you know the argument was was that really the reason well anyways something very similar happened you know the cop came to the window you know um my friend was in the front seat and there was just this moment of like tensity because he's he's you know he's six four six five you know almost 300 pounds and you know Dark windows, dark skin, dark dark shades, dark skin. Like there's that moment, you know. And then for him, there's that moment too of like, I didn't do anything, man. Like I, I, I didn't do anything, you know. And the cop wouldn't give him a reason why he was pulling him over. It was just like, I need you to step out of the car. And he's like, Wait a minute, I, I'm I'm not gonna step out of the car because you haven't even told me what I'm being pulled over for yet. Yeah. 
you know. So there, and there was this moment, and then it ended up to where it got all the way to the point where <laughs> because I knew because I knew the police in that area, people ran and called me that were that were that were nearby that 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 knew me. They called me. They said, "Harry, um, these police are harassing this individual," and I told them, "Put the cops on the phone," you know. And because I knew the chief of that of that division and everything, I said, "Look, you guys need to give me a reason right now because we're gonna have a we're gonna have a conversation, you know, uh, offline here real soon with your boss if you don't." And they're like, "Well, you know, they they wouldn't give me an answer either." But they said, "Look, we're just gonna handle this. You know, this this isn't any big deal." And then two weeks later, we're you know we had a roundtable with the chief, with that individual, and with the chief, and we got into the conversation. And then they bring out the body cam footage, right? So we're watching the body cam footage in the chief's office, you know? And there wasn't anything that happened to where when they did get him, when he did get out of the car, they, you know, they pushed him up against the car, they cuffed him, they put him on the curb. There, there wasn't the tension you would think that it would take for there to be this aggressive nature. There was definitely an argument because he was like, why are you pulling me over? I'm not stepping out. And rightly so. How many people have stepped out of a cop car when there really isn't a reason and they end up with a bullet in their back? He, and that's, what his, that's, what's, that's what's in his mind. Oh. And so um, I, don't even, I forgot where I was going with this. but The confluence <laughs> of stories of each yeah, other and how yeah. does one start to retool the story culturally. Re- yeah. And, and how do we begin to shift the narrative? I mean, that's, that's really where we're at. How do we shift the narrative? How do we see each other differently? How do we begin to stop othering each other yeah you know and and begin to really uh see the human in each other and let's have a conversation from there yeah yeah I mean, we'll, we'll wrap up here really soon the uh, what i think is so amazing with what you are doing is it's when you're putting young people into that that system you're kind of defining them and, and like i've been caught up in the in the system as well i got like multiple felonies for cannabis related stuff and mm. had like a gun in the back of my head and the shackles hannibal lecter style like getting the armored vehicle and taken to court and i was a flight risk because i lived in colorado at the time I so there's more about, about this wow yeah, it's very, it very fascinating wow experience. um and it was really impressive how dehumanizing it was yeah. you know and so i'm this like massage therapist rock climber hippie guy you know that's on this rock climbing trip to canada and i was at the wrong house at the wrong time and all of a sudden i get treated like mexican mafia mafioso situation because there's a whole there's a whole story of what yeah um so i got that that interesting treatment which i'm sure would have been different had i been mexican or black or something like that but nonetheless it still wasn't good treatment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um or my definition of good but the really interesting thing with it was, one, the people within the um, cell block or whatever the term would be, there's maybe like, I don't know, I don't remember, maybe 40 of us or something like that. And there was like a guy that like murdered people above me and there's, you know, people that did like bad shit. Mm-hmm. And then there was all the drug addicts. Mm-hmm. Right. It was just people that needed help. Isn't that something? <laughs> you see how that's that, and that, you get in that situation and you start defining like I'm looking at myself I'm like I'm a fucking criminal man I'm like oh what did I do I'm like nothing I'm like nothing <laughs> and, and, and like should I start selling drugs like get some wet like what do I do I'm like what's happening in my mind <laughs> now, 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 now look at this 
<laughs> in, in, in you're probably what, in your 20s maybe? Yeah, it was like 25 years Okay. Yeah. Now imagine that for a 14 or 13-year-old yeah. or 12-year-old yeah. who for the first time get the same treatment, shackled, head to toe, get thrown in a juvenile hall cell, and got and all he did was get in a school fight or a, too many school fights because that there's school police now and you know school fights are a big deal you can de- you can definitely go to jail or go to juvenile hall because you you just been in too many school fights yeah. so imagine you're in the cell now and they close the door behind you you got to leave your shoes outside the door you know because they don't want you to use those strings or your shoes to do whatever you know kill yourself if you if you if you're thinking about doing that now imagine that, man. You know these children, and how their brains are just still developing, and their understanding of of the world, their understanding of what's going on is is not really there, and they're getting tossed in there. And when you're 25, when you're 25, I, I mean, arguably, you're still developing. You know what I mean? Sure, like yeah. like you're you're still at the place. You know, uh, statistics show 25 year olds. You you have it hasn't fully formed yet. Your yeah. trauma. You're very trauma sensitive at that time, and how long will it take for you to really get around that trauma? You may still be working with it even today, you know, because of that particular incident for whatever you told yourself at that moment, for whatever that was for you, you know, in in in, in how you perceive yourself. You may still be working on that ap- after 25, but mm-hmm. that's 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 real, and and that is the type of those are the type of laws. Those are the type of policies that we need to change because they're just archaic. They were, they were, they were, they were created many, 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 many ages ago, and we still operate on them today. A lot of times, they're addicts. These folks don't need prisons. They need help. Yeah. They need support. They need love. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they just need someone to be there and have a conversation. You know, they need someone to help guide them off of this substance, right? And you and you get half of your jails that are full of folks who just need some simple help. Yeah. They they're not a criminal. They're not. They don't have psychosis. They don't. You know, they're not pathological. They're just like, damn, man. Like I can't get out of this hole. Yeah. And then once they do finally, are finally permitted out of the hole, then they have all of these false floors and traps and. It's like Wizard of Oz trying to navigate parole, I'd imagine, where it's like there's just monsters yeah. jumping out, and it's like, oh, I didn't pass my fucking weed pee test, yep. you know, even no, or or whatever. I, I had a friend recently, which um, he's a white guy, and he's in in Oregon, and uh, he had some whatever stuff. 13 years ago or some stupid number of time and it was like he had I think cocaine and some other things whatever things that a lot of young people have done um he happened to have gotten busted but now 13 years later he's been like he's like a youth leader guy and he's like he's like helping the community and he's Mm -hmm. got a job and he's like it's like fucking doing it his life is he's he's doing a great job like one of the best hearted people that I've come across um and then he went he does his his weed tests and uh, they, the woman that did it, apparently she had a couple people that day. He was one of them that came out positive. And he's like, you know, I trust him emphatically. He's like, dude, I absolutely like nothing, no cannabis. And she had like CBD lotion on her hands. And he wow. came out of it afterwards. And he's like, um, she's supposed to use gloves. She didn't use gloves. Um, and he's like, dude, I'll do 
a hundred P tests back to back. I'll do a hair test. I'll do everything. Like from a justice perspective, without a doubt, mm. I am completely innocent. Yeah, yeah. But not in that system because you're a fucking barcode. Yeah. You know, it's like, sorry, you, you popped. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. It's like when you have that situation and you feel like your your rights as a human being feel so stripped away. For people that haven't had that experience in their life, um, you know, hopefully you don't have it. But when you do, you really develop compassion. Mm-hmm. And you understand. You get it. You see it. You, you, see, you, you have compassion for those folks because you see that they're not criminals. Even if they did a crime, they're still not criminals. Yeah. Most of them did a crime. They made a mistake. They probably re- had a ton of remorse around it. We see too many movies where people are all hard and they're like mean and they're in prison. Do you get some people like that? Yeah, that's, 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 that's yeah. armor, right? But for the most part, you know, folks are in there and they're like, shit, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, I made a mistake. I wasn't thinking clearly. And here I am in here for this, for that, for the rest of my life or for 10 years, for five years, whatever it may be. You know, I'm big on second chances because I believe people can change. I believe people do change, you know, whether we give them the opportunity or not. I think people change. Well, they need a second chance with resources, yeah. you know, and so that's an interesting thing from, from you know, if you look at, um, is it Denmark that has the most kind of like successful in quotations yep. prison system yep. where like their max sentence I think is 21 years unless you did some crazy shit. Um, and it's it's really hyper-focused on rehabilitation. Their recidivism rate is super low. The United States is like... I, I, it's probably varies from state to state, but like 85%, 85 or something like yeah. that. LA County's 85. LA County is 85%. That's insane. That's a failure. That shows you it doesn't work. It, it yeah. never, it's, <laughs> like it's, that's not a failure. It's, what it the was, fuck is a it failure? It was never meant to work. <laughs> it's working exactly the way it was designed to work. That's not. That's money. Someone saying that's someone saying that's failure. Someone over here saying. That's cash. Yeah, that's that's like oh, fifteen percent got away. <laughs> right, right. I had him. <laughs> I had him. How do we get to hundred percent? How do we get out of that? How do we get? He was in the snare. You know, that's that's what he it is. Bit. That's what's going on here. You know, in L.A. County, you know, they 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 wanted to create another prison or another you know county jail here. I mean, there's there's just it, it's ongoing. You know, we're stuck in this 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 hamster wheel of prison making. And it just doesn't stop. And that's got to be first on the agenda. You know, as we're talking about Black Lives Matter these days, we need to be talking about, you know, how do we first stop imprisoning, you know, disproportionately black and brown folks in this nation. That's first. Let's, 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 Let's stop doing that. Let's make that matter. That's the first thing on the agenda, and let's work our ways our way up from there. But is that possible if the system? And I, I promise you, we'll really will wrap up. Do you got to leave here right now? No. What time is it? It's five, five, five. Right. Um, if people are committing crimes, and it just so happens that the way that the system is positioned, that you know, if you hear a black neighborhood or black school, you're like, okay, it's probably. Yeah. you know low income and maybe kind of dangerous, and people might be selling drugs and you know yeah. all that stuff. Like that's. That's just the way that our That's, country is. It, it, right. And they're, they're right there in itself. Just the fact that we know that. Just the fact that we know if you've got a large concentration of black or brown people, yeah. you know there's no money there. Like, that needs to just change. So right? that's where I see it. And I'm like, okay, well, we got to stop arresting them. It's like, well, they're probably committing crimes. It's like, why are they committing crimes? What's the systemic reason beyond that? It's like, well, they're probably 
Like, I'm a criminal, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I'm breaking laws right now, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine you are, mm-hmm. too. I imagine everyone in this in this room is like, there's there's too many laws to count. Mm-hmm. Like, we are all criminals. <laughs> Get like, over yourself. Th- there's just too, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but it's like, you're a criminal to the degree that you have possibilities. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have possibilities, you, you like, okay, cool. Like, I need to eat. I need to, I'd like to have a decent pair of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to sell some drugs. And like that, well, that's the that's the the algebra, that's the the equation that you're in, and that's the multi generational way of surviving. Yeah, right. That's just the way in these neighborhoods. There's ways to survive because there isn't enough work, because you know folks can't advance into you know higher learning. You know what I mean? There's just ways to survive, and that's just the way it is. And Really, the, the mentality is some get caught, some don't, but it's been this way for 50, 60 years, and we need to change that. Yeah. Like, we need to completely dismantle all of that so then we can create opportunities. You know, here in Los Angeles, you know, we saw a huge lead into poverty when the, you know, the, 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 car, the car factories downtown L.A., when L.A. used to be a manufacturing um, city, you know, and downtown was just full of work and jobs and people were were building cars and making tires and doing all great things. When that, when in 1970, when all those companies went out of business, I mean, you've got South Central that right next door. Most of those people, most of those folks were out of work almost immediately, like overnight. Yeah. And, um, and at the same time, you know, we're, we're, we're just coming out of the civil rights movement, so to speak. And, um, it was hard to find work anywhere at that time. So yeah. you, you, so you've got folks who are like, damn. So that's where the the rise of gangs happened in the early 1970s. The Bloods and Crips came out of folks who were just trying to survive. Man, it mm-hmm. came it came out of like, okay, you know, um, you know, Crips st- stood for community reform and progress, right? Like that was the first definition of it. Yeah. And then it turned into, you know, what it is today, which is a street gang. But it was it, it start it, in a way. It started as a group of people who didn't have what they needed to survive and live um, and wanted to progress towards, um, you know, changing policy in this town. And when things didn't happen fast enough, people were, people had to do what they had to do. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? The bottom of that hierarchy of need is survival. You can't move into enlightenment or self-sustainability without first taking care of our bodies, right? And my mother used to tell me when I was a kid, she said, you know what? You can't hear this when this is louder. It's just impossible, right? And it's the truth. So, you know... Um, this is in your head. You're pointing at your head for people listening. Yes. <laughs> pointing my head. Yeah. So you can't listen to your head. You can't listen to your mind. You can't listen to your, your consciousness. You can't listen to your thoughts, especially as a kid. If you're thinking about where am I going to get my next meal? Yep. You know? And, uh, and that's what... that That is really what I'm here to do. You know, my, 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 my mission, and I've made it my mission for the last almost 20 years of my life, is just to be the service I can for the community. Like, service is my, is my, my North Star. Yeah. Like, how can I be the best service for folks, yeah. you know? Um, what, do, what, what, what does the community need? Like, recently, you know, mostly what our organization has done for the last 16 years is provide direct service to youth that are moving through the justice system. So coming out of jail, so we have programs in youth 
jails. We have a community center here in Los Angeles where we have really an all-inclusive of education, therapy, counseling, music studio. We got meals. We get transportation for kids to come out of the hood to come to where we are in Culver City. You know, um, it's really an all-inclusive for kids who really have had trouble traveling through the justice system. And then we also provide job, job training, and then we place them in work in our organization and outside our organization. When COVID hit, you know, and everyone had to stay at home, when we couldn't go into the, the jails anymore because they weren't allowing outsiders to come in and, and, and do programming there. And at our school, you know, kids went to Zoom, you know, and we had our, our instructors were teaching from home and, and Zooming with kids at home. You know, um, right away, I knew in March, right as soon as the stay at home, I'm like, this is going to be bad hmm. for people that need food, yeah. you know. And we've got about a two-week window. I, I, had, I held a meeting with my, my team, and I said, we've got about a two-week window before this starts to hit the, hit the fan. Because two weeks is, you know, they got their last paycheck, right? And then folks got laid off. And you got about a two-week window, maybe a four-week window before um, they can't feed their families anymore. And these are families of the youth that we serve, you know. So I said, let's begin to stock up on food. Call everywhere. Call Trader Joe's. Call the food bank. Call distributors. Let's just begin to get food in here, so we can begin to create a system. We've never done this before, but we got to pivot for these people. We got to meet a need. Let's let's load up with as much food as we can. Oh. Within a week, we were running a, a pop-up free grocery market at our center. Today, um, we're, we're we're serving about 150 families per week with free groceries mm. right now, and this has oh. gone on since April. And so we, we've, um, we're now working with farms and now we're working with – but th- that is just an example of, you know, meeting the need in that very moment. It's, 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 it's what's the most important for folks who are in the situation right now. And, and then how can we continue to help funnel more of that into the community? You know, folks think, well, well you know – what about your, you know, welfare queens, whatever folks call them, right? Like they're just going to just, just use you and never do for themselves or whatever. Well, this is how I look at it. If, if you're going if, if to, if, if it's that serious that you have to do that, then there's a really deep, there's a real deep problem in the community. There's a really deep problem in the system if we're at a point and we that that people just want to scam the system just to get all that they want, right? That in itself is how evident it is that that people are just straight out poor, man. Hmm. You know, and probably much more. Like I didn't know that this many people would line up to come into my offices, my my our community center would line up to get free groceries. Like I had no idea. I, I didn't do food aid before this, but now that I see it, I'm like shit. That it's bad, you know. People are poor. People are not eating. Yep. And um, if we could take care of that, if we can, as a community, as Los Angeles, as any community that has these these systemic issues of poverty, if we can begin to just say, you know what, let's just put aside the whole thing about these folks just need to do for themselves for a minute, and let's just take care of this issue as best as we can while also teaching how to fish. You can do both at the same time. Yeah. 
I think we'll we'll see some change. We'll see some difference, you know. But food is number one. Food food is a big one. Yeah, people need to feel like they have what they need. If you don't have what you need, yeah, it's like you 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 go into jungle mode. Yeah, right. You know, and it's an, it's a well. The one thing I want to say um, before I kind of disagree with myself in that you know they're gonna do crime and going into the system and all that stuff because I think that a lot of the laws were created as just directly outright as a means of oppression, mm-hmm. you know, so such as like the Nixon administration, like the whole war on drugs, yep. like they were forefront about, or they were outright about that of like, we are doing this to suppress people from being able to vote against us. Mm-hmm. You know, so the hippies are there. Well, now they're going to be locked up because they're breaking the law and black people are doing heroin. They're mm-hmm. breaking the law. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wonder your perception of, of like a, a Portuguese approach at drugs and like a, a decriminalization of, of drugs. And it's happening, in I Oakland, think, in, in Oakland. Yeah, exactly. In Denver, it's happening a little bit too, yeah. right? Like, you know, like psilocybin and, you know, MDMA and, you know, ayahuasca and, you know, decrim in Oakland right now, you mm-hmm. know? Um, hopefully we'll see some legalization. I think, like, as far as, like, I, I think what needs to be hurried a little bit are, you know, the therapeutic drugs i think i think yeah. i think i think psilocybin should be taken off that list right away it's unbelievable man it's powerful you can sign get a you can get a script for any opiate you want but if you want to smoke some pot right you get <laughs> you like you pee hot and you're back in jail right. it's like you're doing six China. it's like crazy right yeah <laughs> right you got oxycontin and then you've got you know it, it, it's crazy because it's all about it's insane it's all about money you know it's, it's not it. just like it's like it's literally it's it's insane it's insane it's insane, because you you literally cannot technically overdose from cannabis. Like I don't. I mean, you, you it, it it must take, or it must take you know all day, all night ingestion, whatever to possibly have any type of have lethal eat, lethal overdose. Too, but yeah. Lethal overdose, but I don't think there's ever been a lethal over, no. lethal overdose. It was psilocybin either. Yeah, we should go grab a beer after this though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. What do people do? How do people support? Yeah, I mean, people can, people, I think there's just different ways to support, you know. Um, there's, of course, coming down and, and visiting and being a part of the work, which I, I think is, would be very valuable for folks that want to do more and want to be a part of it. Uh, we're currently, um, we're currently designing a new center and we'll probably be moving into a new location in August, uh, and this would be an all-inclusive uh, location, um, much larger than what we have today. We're going to include a a new farmers, like indoor farmers market, um, in this place, and it's going to be staffed fully by the youth hmm. that we serve. Um, uh, it'll also be have an educational center. Um, we're also going to do a multi-purpose center where we're going to hold town hall meetings and community dinners and gatherings and. and There'll be sports and basketball and things like that, um, and we'll also we'll we'll, we'll 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 bring the community closer together. So that'll be the new Earth Center that we're designing now. I talked a little bit about it uh, with Aubrey the other day, and uh, and you know we're we're working together on on this idea. And then um, there's also just giving. You know, there's there's ways to give. You know, we can um, they can folks can go to newearthlife.org newearthlife.org and that's uh that's our website and you can also give you can learn more about the work that we do at new earth and what some of our future plans are um would be awesome um and i I think really if you if you're somewhere not in la you know if you're outside of la i think we'll go back to what we talked about earlier just 
build the awareness around you that um, that things are happening for a reason right now, mm. and uh, and there there are people trying to within the communities are trying to communicate uh, something that's very painful, something that has been here for a long time. Uh, folks need to be heard, so just build the awareness that. Um, uh, that it might be really good to step into those conversations. And and then at that point, go and maybe look into volunteering or finding out or sitting in at a, at a local town hall or a conversation at your, your, your local city council meeting that has to do with uh, the issues that we're facing today in, in our uprisings and our protests, right? Um, but it's a good time for folks just to get involved locally and listen yeah. and just, just sit. Just go into your be here now, you know, uh, self, and just just be with it. Just don't have to say anything. Just take it all in, listen, and check in. Where what am I working with in all of this? You know, and Thank then you, man. and then the do part. Yeah, brother. Yeah, you're. <laughs> uh, I mean, you hear us all the time blowing smoke up your ass, but you're truly inspirational, just because you're actually in the do. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody's in the do in their own thing. It just so happens that right now, like I was kind of describing, it feels kind of like the world, at least the, the the projected ideas that we get from the media and that and the happenings and such. It's almost like you ever been one of those cheap sushi restaurants where they <laughs> got like the, like the conveyor belt. Though, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, where they comes around. It comes around. Take your little plate off. Yeah, like okay, <laughs> here's your suffering for this week, bitch. Like get <laughs> yeah. into it. You're like, all right, shit. Yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, it's like I, so within that, I'm so grateful to get to connect with you and get to, you know, um, learn from you and, and, and just be with a person that's in the do of, uh, of what's happening in the world right now, as opposed to where there's so much just kind of, you know, everything else. Yeah, there's a lot going on and I'm, I'm really grateful for this time with you, you know, and, and thank you for, for bringing me in to have this conversation. Yeah, man. You know, these are conversations that we all need to be having yeah. a lot more of, and, and hopefully you and I can have more of these conversations. But keep it going. And, and, yeah, keep it going. Keep it going. <laughs> all right, cool. All right, man. Over and out. Thank you, Aubrey, for hooking us up. If you're listening, um, over and out. Thanks so much. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, I truly appreciate Harry. I appreciate you guys sharing this conversation. If there's any specific segments or tidbits, share down the Instagram, tag Harry, uh, Harry Grammer on Instagram. You can tag me at Align Podcast and uh, get this thing out there. I think that as as all all the conversations that we've had on here, all, I don't know what number it is, 300 something, 200 something. I don't know what it is. Um, This, I think, is one of the most valuable ones that we could possibly have. So... I appreciate you guys sharing the good word. And uh, if you do want to work on your body, because I think that the way that we experience the world, our politics, our, our families, our uh, approach to the environment, I think truly all of that stems from your internal experience. And if you feel in pain in your body, if you feel uncomfortable, you, you don't feel at home in your body, um, then that will spill out into the way that you interact in the world. And that's exactly what we get into in the Align Method book. And that's exactly what we get into in the Align Method online program, which is free to start at alignpodcast.com. All right. 
thank you all. I will see you next week with another fire conversation and uh, appreciate you very much. Peace out.